Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I am Jack Luke and today I am joined by committed data nerd Simon Bromley, who's going to be talking us through power meters and how to choose the best one for you. Now, just to get things absolutely sorted from the very get-go, we're going to cover off what a power meter actually is, what they do, how do they work, and why someone would possibly want a power meter. So Simon, what is a power meter? So a power meter is, as the name suggests, a kind of meter that gives you a figure for how much power you are producing. So think of it as a kind of a moving set of scales. And every time you press down the pedal, it kind of measures the force with which you are pressing on the pedal. And then it multiplies that force by your cadence to give you power. So it's force times cadence is power. And as a measure of the amount of effort you're putting out and you know how hard you're cycling is the ultimate measure really, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a discrete figure for how hard you are to, it's how much energy literally power in watts you are putting through the pedals so you can compare that then to anyone and so the most powerful person in the world will literally put out the highest number and vice versa yes and why why would you want to use one of those in bike racing for any discipline so it's not necessarily just for racing i would i see them more as a kind of training tool but they're essentially a way of gauging how hard you are turning the pedals and because of that you can therefore track am i turning the pedals harder today than i was a week before a month before six months before you know and so because of that it's a very effective way of measuring your fitness and very much within the kind of pro cycling world they've become a de facto tool you essentially must have really to track your training effectively but also to be one could argue competitive at the spicy end of the sport yeah, I think because power-based training enables you to be very specific with targeting the kind of areas of your fitness that you want to target, but it's also they're useful because if you know that you're doing a given amount of work, as in you're you know you're putting out that much energy, you know how many calories you're burning, and it is yeah, and then in races you can use it to pace yourself. For example, if you know that I can do X number of watts for X amount of time, then you know, it can help you not to go over that because you think, well, I've never done that in training. Is it a good idea to suddenly Mm. try and turn the pedals twice as hard as I've ever done before? Or maybe that's not a good idea. I might blow up. So actually, just to kind of round out on where you might use them or how you might use them, can you give an example of you, a budding time trialist, say, how would you use a power meter in your racing or even just your day-to-day riding so yeah so for my day-to-day riding and my training i would use the power meter to target the kind of power zone that i wish to race at uh so you know you're training in that sort of you know if you're doing a 10 mile time trial it might last around 20 minutes and so you know for that 20 minutes my 20 minute power would you know maybe at the moment be around 270 watts right mate not very high (laughs) (laughs) but i'm quite lightweight i suppose but so then you would train at that intensity and, you know, hopefully a bit above that intensity to kind of, you know, stimulate a physical adaptation. And then on race day, you know, you would have a kind of target power in your head for kind of like what would be 
kind of what what is the performance you're hoping for and you know you might kind of start out a little bit below that to be a bit conservative and then maybe as you kind of get into the race you maybe see how you're feeling maybe you decide to push a bit more or maybe if you're really not feeling it you might decide oh i can't do this maybe i should back off a little bit and let's say just for amusement's sake alone how does your power compare to an equivalent professional rider what kind of numbers are they going to be putting out on a 10 mile time trial so I don't necessarily know about a 10 mile time trial, but I always think like the benchmark uh, time trial is say, you know, Bradley Wiggins hour record where he reportedly put out around 440 watts <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's a reasonably tall guy. So he's not the lightest. I think he probably would be around 70 kilos. So I don't know what that is in watts per kilo, but it's a lot. But yeah, I mean, my my power does not compare well. I mean, that's why I'm writing for BikeRadar.com and not riding <laughs> in the professional peloton. No, you never know. Maybe you'd be able to do the hour record quicker than him. Maybe less than an hour. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, actually, one final thing, just at the most basic level, how do power meters work? Like, what are the actual electronics inside of a power meter? What are they measuring before converting it into something that we can understand? So a power meter basically measures the force on a given component somewhere in your drivetrain. So you could have that at the pedals, on the crank arms, as a spider, which is sort of sandwiched between the chain rings at the, in the middle of the crank arm. And we've also seen previously hubs, although they're not really available now, which is a shame because PowerTap had a very good reputation for power meter hubs. So they use strain gauges and these strain gauges, they just measure the strain on the kind of the, the plane of you know whatever it is the crank arm the pedal and and like i said they want want that combined with the cadence data whether from an accelerometer or a kind of a magnet read switch or simply you know some power meters measure at a high enough rate that they can determine cadence simply from their kind of knowing how how fast the crank is going between the points that it's measuring and then yeah force times cadence is power there you go. I'm sure some engineer out there will have said your, <laughs> your explanation of, right. a, of a strain gauge is probably it's far too basic. simplified. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it, but yeah, it makes perfect it, sense. You don't, ha- you know, the impo- you don't really have to know how they work in a sense. It's just that you, you know, the kind of it's just it's a moving set of scales, and in a sense, that's why it's kind of you know quite complicated to make a power meter because they are moving and bicycles go over bumpy roads and things like that. You, you know, knowing exactly what the crank is doing is not as perhaps as easy as it might seem if you were just making a power meter in a lab like once it starts going over bumps and things like that does that confuse the accelerometers it's certainly beyond the scope of this particular podcast but i think you know simon is perhaps understressing the complexity of these things and certainly back in the day they were astonishingly expensive and now you don't have to spend a great deal of money to get a pretty decent power meter but you know back in the day it very very much was the reserve of the uh committed athletes or pros out there yeah 100 percent. and i you know i think you know we often i often see comments online of like well you know strain gauges are really cheap so why are power meters so expensive but like you say it's not as simple as you know yeah we can go buy i can buy a set of kitchen scales <laughs> at you know argos or wilkinson's for five pounds and they're sent, but it's it's the fact that it's moving and it's traveling around in circles at you know 90 rpm 90 rotations per minute it it's it's it becomes much more tricky and it's not as easy as it would seem. But 
it is becoming a more competitive market and that has seen prices drop. Yes. Now we're going to go through the different types of power meter. Now they all do the same thing. They all accomplish the same thing, I should say. But it is useful to go through, as Simon said, where they might sit on your drivetrain or the kind of layout they may take. And certainly this can help you decide what is the best power meter for you. So we'll go through each of the different types. We'll talk about the pros and cons and we'll sort of talk about where you may or may not want to use these. So at its most basic, we have the single-sided power meter, which I once, uh, once most amusingly, Simon, referred to as a random number generator. So <laughs> <laughs> let's dive in and say why you think single-sided power meters are daft. I, you know, for me, they're just conceptually, I don't, I don't like the idea that they are claiming to kind of measure the power you are producing when they are quite clearly only measuring half of the power you're producing and then making up the other half. So to be absolutely clear, the best power meters out there are dual-sided, so they'll be measuring the power you're putting out on your left leg and your right leg, roughly speaking. That's In my it. opinion, yes. Yeah. And, and you know, the the issue is, is that as, as the kind of name suggests, a left or even a right-sided only power meter, they are only measuring one of your legs. And unfortunately, sorry to break it to you, but human beings are not perfectly symmetrical. <laughs> so it, they are making an assumption that whatever the leg it's measuring is doing, it will then simply double that to give you a total power figure. But, you know, my left-right balance averages around 53, 47. So 53 on the right leg, 47 on the left leg. And that's, that's over the total duration of a ride. But second to second, my left-right leg balance can vary significantly you know even up to the sort of like 60 percent to one leg and for and it's not we're you know we're moving objects we're not that simple and so the the kind of it might be accurate some of the time but then other times it might be wildly off and you know the point of a power meter is precision you know we're trying to measure things with greater precision because you know as I said, prices have come down, but they are relatively cheap. And, and you know, if, if we don't need precision, we can use things kind of for free, like rate of perceived exertion. You know, if I think I'm trying an eight out of 10, that's actually not a bad guide. You know, if you're kind of, if you decide, well, I can maintain eight out of 10 for 20 minutes, that can be your eight out of 10. And that can kind of roughly get you in that area for pacing and things like that. You, you know, so what we're really trying to do is do things with greater precision. And I know not everyone will disagree with me. And I, th and I think, I think you, for one, Jack, you disagree with me, right? At a point, yeah. I mean, you've somewhat won me around, but when I first got into hill climbs, for example, for me, this is quite, you know, we're talking a very specific discipline here, but let's say I'm, you know, riding over two minutes. To my mind, the difference between 600 watts from the line or 800 watts from the line and a more, much more sustainable 300 watts like I just couldn't I couldn't get it in my head over mm. that kind of short duration and for a time I rode with a left only power meter and it gave me something of a ballpark of like okay I'm clearly going off far too hard here but it doesn't feel like that necessarily at the start because you're full of adrenaline and you've never done this kind of racing so I think if you have no idea what you're doing whatsoever like it can be a useful tool but realistically as I, for example, got a bit more into riding with a heart rate monitor all the time, I get a better idea of what my body is likely to do at certain types of efforts. That is a much, 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 much cheaper way of tracking your performance and 
you have begun to win me over Simon on this argument. I ju- yeah, I just feel like, you know, if you're tracking small improvements in performance, and you want to know that, you know, all that training that you're doing is kind of like, is it going in the right direction or not? Well, if you have a power meter that's not, you know, if, if the readings it's giving you are changing, depending on how kind of like the way you're pedaling because of, you know, maybe you're just pedaling slightly differently that day, you're sitting on the saddle slightly differently, you're wearing a different pair of shorts. And so your saddle height is ever so slightly higher, you know, all of a sudden your the reading in your FTP test, for example, might be five watts out, maybe too low, maybe too high, or 10 watts, too low, too high. So you might think you've made a 10 watt improvement and then you turn up at the race and you go, I'm not going any faster, but I think I've made a 10 watt improvement. Or maybe when you get to the race, that 10 watt improvement isn't actually there and you realize I can't sustain that power that I could when I did that test the other day. And so I think for me, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to measure these things, you know, we all want it to be accurate. And and obviously, you know, the manufacturers claim that they are accurate. And so if they're not, that kind of sticks in my throat a little bit. There we go. Then moving on, we have dual-sided, we'll call them crank arm-based power meters. And they essentially replicate what you see with a normal single-sided crank arm meter, where you've got a strain gauge on both crank arms. And that is, would you say, maybe one of the more simple types of power meter or... Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, as you say, the benefit of that is it they're measure, it's essentially two power meters, two, two cranks, two power meters. You're measuring each leg independently. There's, there's very, you know, if you're a manufacturer of power meters, there's a very good reason to go for crank arms because there is more room on a crank arm for batteries, strain gauges. You know, you're measuring the thing that the right, you know, the crank is the lever that the rider is actually bending to push the bike forward. And so you don't have the kind of influence of, say, on a pedal you might be putting weight on the outside of the pedal and that's not necessarily pushing the crank forward but it's still a force that has to be not measured if you know what i mean so that that adds a complication for power meter pedals for example which we'll maybe come on to a bit later so yeah crank arms are are a great option the downside of a crank arm is that it ties you to that specific crank and so therefore if your bike isn't doesn't have the bottom bracket for that crank you might have to change your bottom bracket or you know maybe your bottom bracket isn't compatible with that type of crank and it also ties you to a set crank length forever which is definitely something that people overlook often i think in bike fit i've certainly been guilty of it in the past and crank length has a huge bearing on bike fit it can do yeah and and you know if you want to ride a slightly longer crank on a on a road bike for example and maybe a shorter crank on your time trial bike you know if you buy a crank length power meter you'll either need to go for something in the middle maybe and compromise or buy two, which could be very expensive. Very expensive. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it certainly ties you in and perhaps a bit of a middle ground are spider-based power meters, which there have been quite a lot of over the years. And with these, if you imagine you have your crank arms and you have your chain rings, well, this is kind of a unit which sits between the two of them normally. And the benefit of this is you have the choice of swapping them between bikes but you know as with everything they're not without the disadvantages so talk us through spider-based power meters yeah that's right so the kind of first power meters which were made by srm a very famous german power meter company they were spider-based power meters and it's again it's a good location to measure power because you can capture the power output from both legs there there's generally a decent amount of room so you can have a nice big battery you don't have to miniaturize the kind of strain gauges and components too much which is also very good that helps you know the cost not be too high and so you know brands like quark for example the, the prices for a quark is quite low these days you can get quark for 400 dollars, i think which uh, you know that's just for the spider alone but 
as you said, like, you know, compared to five or 10 years ago, that's like ludicrously cheap and other brands like power to max and now Rota have done them as well. Just for the avoidance of doubt, could you explain why, despite it being only on one side, a spider-based power mirror can measure both legs? It's because essentially it's measuring the torque at the kind of the chain ring interface. And so if you're turning it, if you're turning the left hand crank, it's still measuring that torque just as it would if it's if it's measuring on the right hand side. And yeah, and like you said, the other advantage is that with a lot of these is you can swap the cranks out. So again, if you needed to put it on a different bike, you might be able to get a crank with a different axle to fit that bike. You can also, you're not tied to a set crank length forever. You can change the cranks. The downside is, is that these power meters, because they're not measuring the left and the right leg independently, they can only really measure total power. They do, you know, some of them do a kind of fancy bit of software magic to try and estimate your power balance. But my testing sort of shows that they don't really know what you're doing. They're making, a, you know, they're making a kind of educated guess based on basically from 12 o'clock to six o'clock, it's right leg from six o'clock to 12 o'clock, it's left leg. But that's making a number of assumptions that after six o'clock, your right foot isn't continuing to pull and also that your power phase doesn't start before then. And for me, maybe I have just got souplesse. You're just beautiful, Simon. You're just so smooth on the pedals. <laughs> but for me, my power phase starts before 12 o'clock and finishes after six o'clock. So they never get it right. Very interesting. Yes. Um, I think the modular nature of spider-based power meters is, is an interesting one. I remember... That was one of the big selling points of the Rotor Inspider, which came out a couple of years ago, where if you're kind of buying into a crank, oh, sorry, a company that has a lot of different crank sets, in theory, you could swap over from your mountain bike to your road bike, where it's not totally unreasonable. It's not a huge amount of work. So an interesting option. Briefly, these aren't quite so common. I know Easton, um, who also tied in with Raceface, uh, had a spindle-based power meter for a time. So that's essentially the spindle connecting your two crank arms in a modular crank set. How do they differ and what are their kind of advantages and disadvantages? So the, what's interesting about these spindle bits is that even though they're in the spindle and actually Quark has recently released one for its rival uh, AXS group set is that they're left only. So they only met they're They're always attached to the left hand crank and they only measure the torque through that crank. And I'm not entirely sure why that is i think i'm not entirely i don't think the right crank is generally kind of connected to the spindle electronics perhaps but essentially they're always left only so they have the kind of you know the advantage of them is is that the spindle is a kind of bit of unused space so there's a there's a kind of hollow area in there where you can place a battery and strain gauges and it doesn't impact on the kind of overall look of the bike from the outside and again there's no kind of miniaturization pressures with associated with that area so you know, Shimano uses that area on its crank-based power meter to house a, a, a quite a large battery, for example. Um, again, as they're left only, they wouldn't be what I would choose, but they do have the advantage of being slightly cheaper. Here's one which I think personally is the most interesting kind of development in the power meter world. My God. <laughs> We're so sad, Simon. I, can't I just started that sentence. But... I never expected you to say that, Jack. Well, you know, I do think it's interesting and it appeals to me more is the idea of a pedal-based power meter because as a swappable solution between all bikes, this seems to me the best place to put them. Now, there are some quite significant disadvantages to putting power meters in a pedal, which you'll come on to, but 
go on then, Simon, actually. You're the man that knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Give me the lower down. Yeah, so obviously the advantage of having a pedal-based power meter is that the pedal mounting threaded hole is the same for every bike, for every crank. So if you buy a set of power meter pedals, it will fit every bike straight away, mm-hmm. no matter what. And that's fantastic because it means you don't have to you know, faff around with bottom brackets and the extra expense potentially, you know, involved with getting a bottom bracket fitted to, you know, especially you have multiple bikes that can be very convenient. Or, you know, if you travel a lot and you want to use a rental bike when you travel, power meter pedals. But the obviously the issue with power meter pedals is that they are small. Mm. And so that requires miniaturization of both the kind of the batteries and the electronics and they're also more vulnerable to crash damage you know a spider or a crank based power meter the electronics are housed away from an area that would hit the ground first in the event of a crash so for racers you know a power meter pedal might be a hard sell because often you know if you if you slide out in a race crash the, the first thing to hit the floor is often the kind of you know as we all know the pedals the handlebars the shifters those sorts of things so if you've got a very expensive pair of pedals on your bike and you damage them, that could be costly. Now, most of the, well, the major manufacturers like Favero and Garmin, they make swappable pedal bodies. The electronics are generally housed in the spindle, so they are reasonably well protected, but I would still, you know, a, a kind of like a, a strike on the end of a crank arm, say. Could be a very it, expensive it, mistake. Yeah, it could be an expensive mistake. Yeah. And that, that kind of swappability is something we're seeing more of now. I think, if I'm right in saying the, patent for Shimano SPD SL pedal systems is now uh, out. So basically pedal manufacturers can come out with their own uh, versions of power meter pedals with this, but also with the likes of something like Garmin's rally power meter pedal system, you can swap from road pedal bodies to mountain bike pedal bodies. And that's a really cool thing if you are racing across disciplines. And we're about to see very similar from Favero, if I'm right in saying, although that's between different road pedal bodies, but We'll probably see mountain bike pedals down the line, would be my guess. It's a tricky one. So Favero haven't officially announced it yet, but they did do a teaser. So yeah, I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. coming. Garmin, as you say, released their rally pedal recently, which has uh, Shimano SPD SL, Look Kio, and Shimano SPD off-road cleat compatibility, which was a first. And yeah, that's that's great. Like that's you know, especially with the kind of explosion in, in interest in gravel and you know a lot of roadies moving over to gravel. That's a nice one as well because. You know, How else are they going to know they're having fun without power meters? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Jack, because that's what the fun is. Um, but, if, you know, using a road-based, if you had, a, say, a set of power meter cranks or a power meter spider, the BCD, the bolt circle diameter, might be slightly larger than what you would ideally want on a gravel bike. Uh, so a pedal, again, you can use whatever cranks you want on your gravel bike and then use the power meter pedal, and that's great. Obviously, the, the downside of that is that, you know, the Garmin Rally, for example, comes at quite a premium price point. Now, the Favero Asioma Duo is a cheaper power meter, but yeah, for now, it only has Look Kio compatibility. Looks like it is going to have Shimano SPDSL compatibility, but the design they use is a kind of pod on the end of the spindle. And I've, I've, I think that might mean that they can't do off-road SPD cleats mm-hmm. because it would get in the way of the tread on shoes. I see. Well, we'll wait and see what happens there. But I think my certain guess is that there's going to be more pedal-based power mirrors in the near future because, I don't know, it seems like a very appealing option to me. Finally, sort of, we have 
hub-based power meters. Um, now, they don't really exist anymore, do they? No, PowerTap um, was brought by Quark, or well, actually it was brought by SRAM, who own Quark uh, a few years ago. And yeah, there was a new disk rate generation of PowerTap hubs that were kind of being shown a few years ago, but they, they seem to have just dropped off the radar. And, you know, I think they were excellent power meters by all, by their reputation, but they kind of, you know, they tie you to a specific wheel and you had to make a choice about whether to have that in a training wheel that you would, you know, use for training every day or in a race wheel. And then you had to have the compromise of it being a relatively heavy hub. And with the availability of other options like spiders, cranks, pedals, I, f I think the kind of, you know, back when PowerTap originally launched, they were a cheaper option to expensive SRM cranks. But I think nowadays, I you know, it, it's hard to see why you would buy a hub over some of the other ones because they just, that compromise in, in wheel and having to choose, it, it, it seems too much. Yes, I even I remember our uh, dearly departed Joe, no longer at Bike Radar, he had a PowerTap rear wheel um, for one of his uh, mountain bike, uh, cross-country mountain bikes. And I remember it was a non-boost hub. And then obviously when boost kind of came around and it was adopted en masse by the industry, they couldn't use it anymore. Yeah. And he actually couldn't use it. And that's the other it. thing, right? So if they ever change the free hub standard for a new group set, that totally. wheel becomes redundant. Redundant. Which is and very so frustrating. When that will never happen with a pedal, unlikely. Well, we hope not. Can you imagine if oh. they introduced a new pedal thread standard? Oh. would go nuts. <laughs> um, just very, very briefly on hubs, one thing I always thought was quite interesting is that because it is at the hub, it's measuring the amount of power after drivetrain losses, which is something I always thought was interesting if you're a chronic bike nerd. But, um, you know, how, do, how would that affect your uh, training, for example? Or would it just tell you that you need to clean your drivetrain? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly that, basically. I mean, we kind of have that now with smart trainers as well. Like you say, they're measuring, they're essentially, you know, they are hub-based power meters. They're just doing it as smart trainers. And so, yeah, we would typically, you know, if you had a power meter at the crank or the pedals and a power meter at the hub in a smart trainer, or as you say, in a power tap wheel, then if they were both perfectly accurate, then you should expect the one at the rear wheel to be slightly lower by, you know, a, a, However a given was, percentage yeah. based on how clean your drivetrain is. Now, if you were riding my bike, <laughs> it would be a very small amount because my drivetrain is so efficient. You could eat off it. You could eat off it. But if you were riding Joe's bike, <laughs> then, you know, you might see 10 watts less at your drive at your drivetrain. And then you think, well, maybe I should clean my chain. And then not do it anyway. And then not do it anyway because you don't care. Rightfully so, I say. Um, and then... Finally, we do have other types of power meters out there. There's been all sorts of, we'll call them odd attempts mm. at trying to make or measure power in different ways, most of them to do with wind speed and your speed. Um, could you explain briefly how those work and maybe explain why they haven't taken off in quite such a, a big way as other power meters? So, that, so, yeah, so those ones that measure kind of wind speed are kind of non-direct force power meters and they basically try to work out given how fast you're going and the rate at which the wind is hitting the kind of wind sensor, the power that you would need to be producing in a headwind like that to go that speed. But the, you know, the difficulty is with those sorts of things is that, you know, the power required to hit a certain speed in any given wind position depends on how you're sitting on the bike, like what kind of tires you're using. And so I think it's difficult to correct for all of those variables. Mm -hmm. I think they came around in a time when power meters were still very expensive and they were it was kind of people searching for a way to 
um, essentially get around that problem of needing to kind of miniaturize electronics and batteries and, and you know, make moving scales. And so people were exploring other avenues. I think, you know, those kind of, those kind of tools have given birth to the sort of things we're now seeing people using for aerodynamic testing, for example, because measuring wind speed and when those kind of other things that those devices measured, you know, may actually have other uses when you combine them with a power meter, because then you say, well, if I'm putting out this much power and now I'm going this speed and you know, into a wind, then you know, maybe my aerodynamic drag improves, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I think those tools still have an application, but perhaps not what they were originally intended for. And then finally, we've also seen the likes of shoe-based power meters. None of these have actually made it to the market, as far as I'm aware. Um, why were they even considered? I think, yeah, again, a bit like power meter pedals, it's that kind of thing of like, you know, the shoe is compatible with every bike, and so therefore you could take it with you. Um, and I guess on a shoe, there's a bit more space on the sole for all of the electronics and things like that. And, you know, compared to a pedal, maybe it would have been easier but you know my you know my issue with that is that you know shoes get stinky yeah and <laughs> they, sometimes you don't want to wear them <laughs> sometimes you don't want to wear them and you might want a pair of road shoes off-road shoes you know like uh, you know what happens if you crash and damage your shoes like then, then your power meters and then obviously like yeah like i said you, what happens if you crash and damage your power meter pedals but your shoes are inherently a more delicate thing than a pedal and if you treat them like i do you absolutely trash them as well and i don't think many cobblers are going to be able to i mean if you had a power meter in the sole of your shoes that you then your road shoes that you wore on a gravel ride and go hiker biking (laughs) i don't know where you're getting such an idea that i do such a thing simon um now you have as of recording this podcast you're just about to conclude a very large power meter test and we're not going to talk through the results of that because if you want to see them you should head to bikeradar.com for the full scoop on this um, it's going to be, if you're into such things, a truly thrilling, comprehensive read. And it's been the result of a great deal of work from Simon, which we're all very appreciative of. Um, but if you could summarize without giving away, you know, your kind of overall findings, what have you found or what's what struck you through the testing and what kind of issues is it thrown up? So I think for me, you know, I feel like we're reaching a point in the power meter market where there are lots of great options. And actually, like, I found that most of them, the vast majority of the power meters I tested, in fact, were really good. So I think what it comes down to when choosing what's the best type of power meter for you is considering what compromises you're willing to make. So if you, for example, you know, if you're happy to stick with a set crank length, then you a crank ba- a dual sided crank based power meter is a good option you know you can get them in various guises for shimano chain sets for example or there's the verve info crank which i really like um they have as i said a power meter on every on each side of the crank so they measure exactly what each leg is doing they generally have good battery life they're very well protected from from crash damage and things like that but they do tie you to that set crank length and then the axle and similarly with power meter spiders, those power meter spiders tie you to that kind of, you know, if you if you have a quark D4 or D0 power meter, for example, you're tied to using SRAM's DUB bottom bracket and crank and axle system. And so you might, if you've got a few bikes, you might have to swap the bottom brackets over on all of them. You know, there's no axle option. There's only one axle option. So you have to hope your bike's compatible with that. 
they don't measure left-right balance maybe as accurately as you would like. But then, you know, I'm the jury's out on whether that data is even inherently useful. Mm. It, if you're recovering from a leg injury, maybe, but for everyone else, maybe not. So the kind of jury's out on that. But, but those spider-based power meters tend to be quite cheap now, which is great. And they are measuring total power, which is great. Um, a pedal-based power meter, for example, it goes on every single bike. It's really, really easy to swap over. They're very, very user-friendly. But like, the yeah, for Verirassi and Medewas are cheaper, but they're only compatible with look Kio cleats for now. Potentially Shimano SPDSL in the future, according to their like the the things they've been putting online. But that yeah, you wouldn't if you if you're into if you're getting into your gravel, for example, or you or you want to use them on a mountain bike, unless you're happy to use road cleats off road yeah what's wrong with that <laughs> <laughs> then they're not a great option and you know the garmin sort of solves that the garmin rally sort of solved that problem but then they're pretty premium and yeah yeah so all in is very much a question of kind of compromising in certain yes. areas there is no one solution which will give you a comp uh, will give you a compromise free solution and um, i will very briefly say that simon We'll go into exactly how he's tested these power meters in the article. I don't think everyone needs to hear about your <laughs> many hours spent toiling on them, but it is interesting and it gives a flavor for kind of, yeah, the kind of buying decision, you know, re really like how you've gone through the fitting and the installation, cost, everything's considered. It's going to be a really, really good piece and definitely one you should check out if you're in the market for a power meter. Is there anything else you would add, really? Actually, here's a question. I have a question for you. How useful are power meters, Simon? Really, for the day-to-day -day general rider, is there going to be a point where they are as like easily understood as heart rate monitors, for example? So I think they're becoming like that, and I think we're going to see them basically coming on stock on all racing bikes because consumers want them. Mm -hmm. But I actually think, you know, not to do a discredit to everyone listening to this podcast, but I don't think we're all really using them mm -hmm. properly in the way that we should do, unless you're doing targeted training and admittedly more people are doing that because of things like Zwift and Trainer Road and, and other sort of indoor cycling apps that offer training plans but unless you're doing that they're not really that useful unless what you want to do is compare your numbers to the pros and go blooming hell they're fast which yeah. there's nothing wrong with that absolutely that. so that's so that, you know that's that's one great use but yeah they're, they're really great for training and you know you can also then put them to you to do aerodynamic testing and roller resistance testing and all that sort of thing but like let's which everybody does how, just how, like how you many people, how many people really do these things you know like and and the issue is is that as you get older which is a specific problem for me Jack, um they basically tell you how much slower you're getting you know they don't they start they, you go past a certain point my best year was in 2015 and ever since then i've got slower well i wonder if there's been a direct correlation between the arrival of your son to this world and uh, your power numbers going down what do you reckon yeah perhaps <laughs> but so don't let me say you shouldn't buy one because absolutely like if you just want to look at the numbers and compare yourself to the pros and see what you're doing that's absolutely great but like fun. they are they are still considerably you know they're quite an expensive tool and they don't make you go any faster on their own they are supposed to be you know a bit like heart rate monitors they're a, they're a kind of training tool to to give you information to influence your future decisions but if you're not making if you're not doing a training plan and you're not making decisions about fitness and all of those sorts of things if you don't care about how many calories you've burned because it doesn't it doesn't really matter then you don't really need a power meter. But if you want one, hey, 
that's absolutely fine because no one needs a fancy bike you know we all you know oh the only bike you need is a a cheapo bike from you know wherever and but like we all know we want fancy gadgets because they're cool because they're fun there's nothing wrong with that yeah bear in mind people survived for a very 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 long time without power meters and there's plenty of detractors out there who aren't so fond of them so you know it's i would say the biggest buying decision of all if you're considering a power meter is a Will it actually make your riding any better? I think that's really, really what it boils down to. Will it make you any happier? That's another thing to consider. As yeah, well. and unless you're really going to be doing kind of, unless you really want to train, and I mean that in the kind of like train specifically, then you might not get as much use out of it as you, you think imagine, other yeah. than for comparing yourself to people. And comparing yourself to people is fun, but like, is it worth a thousand pounds to tell you that no you're not as good as a pro <laughs> <laughs> well there you go i'm looking forward to reading the full scoop on bike radar when this story goes live simon again we will have the full buyer's guide to parameters with all of our how many tests how many uh, have you tested in this seven one? seven well I'll tell you what it feels like you've done bloody more mate <laughs> <laughs> it's, t- it's taken me taken me a long time Take- I, you know we would have done more it's been a kind of tough year for tech if there had been a few more releases we probably would have done more there's there's some new things on the horizon that i'm sure well you know the world of the world of cycling tech never ends thank god because i keep me in a job (laughs) (laughs) and if you have any questions about power meters i know it's one of simon's hobby horses who'll be watching the comments of the article associated with this podcast on bike radar like a hawk so by all means do leave any questions there Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave us a cheeky five-star review if you feel like we deserve it. I'm sure you do. And Simon, thank you very much for today's podcast and all of your efforts that has gone into this monster power meter test. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Jack. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.